years, your brain might turn to putty. But there's still a chance to learn. We'll be your study buddies. We're going to talk about some stuff and make research cool. Welcome back to another episode of Study Buddies. My name is Paula Sanchez Abreu. And my name is Taylor Collins. And we're the podcast that brings you the latest in science and psychology. And sometimes more. <laughs> um, this week, I am super pumped for what we're going to talk about. Uh, I first heard of this study when I was listening to another podcast that I'm going to plug right now called How to Save a Planet. And I heard about it and I was like, "Mm, I need to take this, steal this and uh, dissect it 100% for study buddies. Oh, yeah. Paula has been raving about this for a week. She's been so excited to look at this. So why don't you tell them what study are we looking at uh, in today's episode? Yes. Well, this study excitingly is called Children Can Foster Climate Change Concern Among Their Parents. And it was a study that was published in June of 2019, and I'm obsessed with it. Okay. Well, let's see if it's worthy of this obsession. Can you give us a little background on how this study came about? I sure can. So as you know, there's a lot of barriers that have been put in place by big fossil fuel to to believing in and taking action to combat climate change. And climate change obviously needs the collective public to take action in order to combat and slow its effects. A Mm. recent report from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, otherwise known as the ICC, it suggests that, quote, Swift collective action is necessary to avoid catastrophic impacts. Catastrophic. Oh my gosh, that's like the most like ominous, terrifying right. phrase. Yeah, it's scary. Catastrophic being like all the natural hazards, such as sea level rising to flood islands, losing farming land, and trillions of dollars in damage from increased storms. You know, no oh, big wow. deal. Yeah, no, climate change is, like, just thinking about all this is actually really infuriating, all the damage it'll cause. Yeah, it's infuriating, and it's it's scary. And the most infuriating and scary part is that only 54% of adults globally believe that humans are the cause of climate change. And this exact... Right. (laughs) This exact percentage may have shifted since the study is over a year old, but it's still insightful to note. Yeah, of course. So is it safe to assume that politics plays a part in this climate change skepticism we're talking about? Oh, girl, it sure is safe. Mm. Political ideology is a huge influencer of, one, the information received about climate change. So like Fox News. Mm -hmm. Most reliable source for data. Clearly. And then two, how any and all climate change information is interpreted. So confirmation bias, only accepting information that aligns with your ideals. You know what the yeah, and is. we and we know that we all do that across a political spectrum. So exactly, if you're doing that on the conservative ideology, then it's going to be you know more likely you're not believing in climate change. Right. Mm. More specifically. Conservative males are the most consistent in their display of low concern and high skepticism around climate change. And more so, this one was really hard for me to hear, because characteristics like political ideology and gender are ingrained as like a part of someone's identity, they're really difficult to change. Yeah. And I wonder if part of the reason that like conservative males do feel that way is I think a lot of them have like their finances and livelihoods 
like very much so staked into the businesses behind that and so they would lose all of either the work that they've been doing their whole lives or their financial backing or things like that so exactly there's like an emotional and financial attachment to it which makes it really hard to accept and I don't know all of this is really hard to hear so is there work that's been done to break this cycle Yes, of course there has. Policymakers and scientists have been working with communities for years to frame messages about climate change to like speak to these different political ideologies. So like mm. a good example of that is stewardship framing for talking to evangelical Christian groups about climate change. My best friend Gail is actually working with an organization called Green Faith, where basically she calls people that have agreed to participate in like this fellowship program um, and they're like a lot of evangelical Christian people and she talked to them over the phone about how Christianity like requires us to come forth and combat climate change it's very interesting work but it's not that effective um, another example is like using iconic celebrities as spokespeople to ring the alarms like somebody like Leo DiCaprio is another oh hey yeah um, he, that's another tactic but overall like I said these strategies haven't really been helpful on a large scale so they're trying and, to get at the US weekly readers and the Bible readers and it's just really not working either way exactly yeah so many people are advocating for more communication strategies to like mobilize folks to fight this existential threat. Yeah, so I'm sensing that this is where this study that we're talking about today comes in. You sensed right. Intergenerational learning is the name of the game. It has been found that intergenerational learning is an understudied but a promising framework for building concern for climate change. So by intergenerational, you mean like parents, children, grandparents, like kind of up and down different generations within the same like family. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, people of all ages learning horizontally. Cool. Okay. Um, And this is especially effective when we think about how political ideology is a little bit more flexible in adolescence than adults. So there is room to shape young minds to realize this threat as real and impending. With that in mind, there have also been studies that show that children can have a great influence on their parents' socio-political ideology. And we see this taking place with things like sexual orientation, where parents can come around to changing their mind about how, what kind of politics they believe in based on how they see their children. Oh, wow. Okay. And because of this, the authors hypothesize that because of this special relationship that children may have with parents, they may be able to like rise above this socio-ideological barrier and kind of change their idea about climate change concern. Okay, right. So with the importance of early education and this parent-child relationship, there's really something to explore here. Mm -hmm. So how did they conduct the study? Well, they started out by designing the curriculum, of course, and the authors were sure to use a climate change curriculum that maximized the chance of intergenerational transfer. And so for this reason, they decided to use a previously tested curriculum called Weather, Wildlife, Climate, and Change, which is modeled after an internationally distributed environmental education curriculum. And this curriculum consists of four classroom activities and a field-based service. And this particular curriculum was focused on local species because people tend to pay attention to environmental issues that are framed around their local ecosystem. Okay, so things that might be more like directly observable in their backyard or neighborhood or local parks or places. Exactly. The places that people have already invested their home into. 
Mm. And basically, the lesson touched on the difference between weather and climate, how they relate to habitat, how wildlife managers can address climate change, and how individual actions can impact climate change effect on wildlife. And then they added in that element of a field project for service-based learning, and then also a reflective blog post. And then they added in a component of parental engagement by having students interview their parents. So how did they select participants to be involved in the study? So first they decided that middle school children would be best since that age tends to be like at a malleable stage in their development where they're like really coming into their own opinions. Ah, yes. I remember that middle school age. (laughs) Yeah, where you're like fighting with your parents all the time because you think you know what's what. Oh, yeah, because you do. I, yeah. I have a, a very, very close cousin who insisted for her entire middle school career that she was never going to drive a car because of climate change and she was going to move to Alaska and only travel by sled dogs. So, <laughs> Oh, I idea. love her. That's amazing. <laughs> she denies that now that she's like in high uh, – well, yeah, now that she's in high school, she denies that she ever like fully believed in that. And we're like, oh, you did. <laughs> That's funny. Um, The fight that I was fighting was, I'm never going to get married. I'm going to be a nun. Oh, yeah. Right. I'll never kiss a That was me in middle school. (laughs) So anyway, our beliefs are pretty malleable. They seem set in stone, but but we have some flexibility more so than adults. Definitely not a nun right now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So there's that. The the aspect that they have that malleable opinions. And then they're also able to comprehend complex subjects such as climate change. And so because of that, they decided to focus on the coastal countries in North Carolina since that area is particularly vulnerable to the effects of climate change and is still building resilience. And so they randomly selected 100 teachers from that district to invite to the study via email. And of those 100, 15 participated in the two-year-long study. Okay. Then the authors randomly assigned those teachers to either the control group or the treatment group with only the treatment group learning the climate change curriculum. Mm And through those participating teachers, they gained their student sample. And they had both students and parents of students consent to the study, of course, and have them take home surveys to complete. Okay. So what was the general breakdown of this population of students that was involved in the study? Yeah. So they ended up with a treatment sample, um, which was the group that would learn the climate curriculum, of 105 sixth grade students, 153 three seventh graders and 99 eighth graders and then in the control group they had 101 sixth graders 121 seventh graders and 102 eighth graders and overall the participants ranged from 10 to 14 years old and the final parent sample ended up including 292 respondents from the uh 238 individual families but 54 of those households gave two parent responses. So if that makes sense, there was only a 42% response rate from the households. Okay. And then for context, um, for those parents, 44% self-identified as conservative, 40.41% identified as moderate, and 27.12% identified as liberal. Okay. So there was a different break. That was the breakdown of kind of who was included. It sounds like there was several hundred students involved. Yes. And what did the questionnaires to these parents and children look like? How did they kind of conduct this and gather the information? Yeah, so these questionnaires, of course, were trying to measure climate change concern. So they wanted to use already validated previously published scales to create these questionnaires to make sure that they would be validated for use with adolescents. So they used 
They turned to using a scale developed in the 2011 Nationwide Climate Change Adolescence Surveys, Mm -hmm. which asks questions such as, how sure are you that global warming is happening? How sure are you that it's not happening? How worried are you about global warming? And many other questions that assess both the knowledge of and concern about climate change. And it would be really cool. I think we can probably share the link to that 2011 scale in the episode description. Yeah, it's quite long, actually. It's very comprehensive. Mm -hmm. I was reading through it and I was like, ooh, this is a fun test for me. (laughs) Um, It's kind of cool to see, like, you know, where where you are in that journey. At least it was for me. And then they also measured the level of discussion around climate change in the family through asking the singular question of how often have you discussed climate change at home with your family? Okay. Yeah. And then they collected the responses from both parents and children twice each academic year, once at the beginning and end of each year. Okay. So so they had collected data four times from these families. Yes, since it was a two-year survey they collected in October slash November of 2016, May and June of 2017, and then at the same times for the 2017-2018 school year. Okay, so let's get down to brass tacks. How did they (laughs) analyze all of this data that they collected? Well, like the most sciencey of sciences, they analyzed the data with some fancy statistics. They used a multiple linear regression analyses to look at the difference in climate change concern in children while controlling for race, gender, and treatment year. Mm -hmm. And then they also used multiple linear regression analyses to look at the difference in parent climate change concern as a result of, one, what the child's level of original concern about climate change was, and two, whether the child went through the curriculum or not. Okay. So whether they were in that treatment group or not. And then authors also across the board controlled for the level of climate change discussion in family, as well as the genders in the family and the races in the family. Oh, that's a lot of controlling. Oh, just you wait. They also controlled for urban versus rural school settings, political ideology of parents, and socioeconomic status. Oh, buddy. Yeah. That's a lot of stats. A lot of stats, a lot of data. Then they also ran something called the Sobel Goodman Mediation Test, to see what the effect, the mediating effect of student climate change concern was between the climate curriculum and parental climate change concern. Okay. So they were looking to see whether climate change curriculum increased student climate change concern, which then increased parent climate change concern. Exactly. That's definitely what that Sobel Goodman mediation test was looking at. And so what were the results? Okay, the results are the reason I'm 100% obsessed with this study. The authors (laughs) listed four major findings from these results, and I'll go through all four of them with great enthusiasm. Oh, yeah, hit me with them. Number one, children who participated in the climate curriculum showed larger increases in climate change concern than the kiddos in the control group. Yay, learning. Yay, learning. (laughs) Two, students who were in that treatment group that learned the climate curriculum fostered more climate change concern among their parents than the control group. Three, and this one is amazing. The difference in parental climate change concern was more distinct among the groups that are typically more resistant to climate change conversation, especially the politically conservative parents. Those parents started out with the lowest concern levels at the start, and the post-study test showed that they had the largest gains in climate change concern. 
which is incredible. So this is the target population that really sticks their feet in on climate change. Yes, exactly. And another group that tends to be hesitant to climate change concern is men, as I mentioned before. And this study found that fathers displayed larger gains in climate change concern than mothers. Oh, wow. I know. And four, (laughs) and this one is a doozy and I don't know how to feel about it. But daughters were more effective than sons in fostering climate change concern among parents. Wow, that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. So what do these results suggest? Well, it proves that climate change education might be vital to stopping the climate crisis. And it suggests that curriculums that encourage intergenerational learning can have success with reaching parents. And that if child climate change concern increases, so may the parents' concern. So it sounds like it's really important for teachers to be taking care of this too. We have teachers that need to take care of quite a lot of things. This is another thing that's on their plate to help these kiddos learn. Exactly. Yep. And as the author is beautifully summarized, they say, quote, children may provide a communication pathway that is resilient to longstanding socio-ideological barriers to learning about, caring about, and ultimately acting to address climate change, end quote. Oh, wow. So... Mm -hmm. It's this is like a really hopeful study in ways that yeah. we can we can really educate and make change. It it is. Yeah. It it fills me with great hope. Yes, Taylor. <laughs> so, are there any limitations uh to this study that we're kind of thinking of? I don't know if any stand out to you. Well, of course. I mean, no study is perfect. Um we have the limitation that there is the selection effects of you know, 15 teachers out of 100, they invited teachers to participate in the study. And right. It was like through email, right? Yeah. They sent out an email and they had teachers respond that wanted to get themselves involved. And, you know, it makes you wonder what might make teachers more likely to choose to participate in this curriculum. Um, are those teachers advocates for climate change? Is it something that they, you know, we just don't know. So it would be interesting if they did this again, but also controlled for where the teachers are coming from. Right. And then um, there's a 42% response rate of parents. So we're missing a a good amount of the data. And the parents that chose to respond may also, you know, have a general inclination um, to to feel some type of way. Yeah, like who's more likely to respond to the survey may affect the type of data you pull because it's not entirely randomized because of the the response rate. Right, right. Okay. So what does... You know, outside of these limitations, what do the study's findings and suggestions really say about where we should take this information in the future? Yeah, well, it would be certainly interesting to look at why daughters had more of an effect than sons on increasing parental climate change concern. Like, could it be that daughters are more concerned than sons after leaving the curriculum? Could it be that they are better at communicating than boys during adolescence? Like, there's a lot of questions. Could it be that they have their dad's attention more so, you know, the whole dad yeah. and the girl type. I don't know. <laughs> that was also a question I had. I was like, are we paying attention to, like, how concerned our boys are compared to our girls? Like, what, you know, like, whose feelings right. are we taking into account more? That was a that was a question that I had. Because it seems like gender is having a huge impact on this study. Huge. Huge. Mm-hmm. And then it would also be good to look at the relationships between children and parents and how that affects, you know, increasing concern about climate change. How close are the parents? What what sense of trust is there, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, wow. So there's, you know, a lot of a lot of places to take this and uh, we'll have a lot more learning to do. 
Oh, yeah. I feel like we're going to come up with 17 different more studies um, on this in our Passing Notes episode. Well, the only problem with it is they – I think they said in the beginning, like, in order to avoid catastrophic events, like, we need to take collective action immediately. So I think the real challenge is – despite all the studies we do like we need to be taking action now now taking action like 20 years from now which yeah. is i think people will only take action once they start to see results maybe this you know maybe i'm getting a little apocalyptic here but uh hopefully hopefully the the action will come in tandem with the studies on how to make the action better rather than after yeah, yeah that would be beautiful uh definitely definitely got some thoughts on this for passing notes i'm looking forward to it yeah check us out next week on our passing notes episode to hear some more thoughts on what this information might mean and i don't know we, paula paula has a lot of uh i have so many very very passionate opinions everything about yes. how we should help opinions feelings facts whatever oh yes <laughs> she's she's armed and ready to go so definitely tune in next week yes we will see you next tuesday for another episode of study buddies thank you for joining us this week thank you for listening to me spew on about a study i'm obsessed with and we'll see you back next week bye everyone study buddies was created by paula sanchez abreu and taylor collins our graphic design was done by monica ray summers gonzalez and our intro song was composed by singer songwriter caught in between You can follow Study Buddies on Instagram at studybuddies.com and email the show at studybuddiespodcast at gmail.com.